festivals in America were really far behind what was going on everywhere else. There wasn't much options in the States. Burning Man was the only kind of like proper, like, it was a cool one because it's so different. Hey, streamers and dreamers, I'm Otto Kent, and yes, you're listening to The Week by Telecom Electronic Beats. It's Thursday, September 7th, and this is your weekly update on music, culture, and what's next. Flooding at Burning Man. It is chaos. It has been raining all night, and it's supposed to rain again in about an hour, and, uh... No one's going anywhere. No one's coming in. No one's coming out. Those were the warnings of TikToker Jelly Santos describing the muddy state of the burn. The Burning Man Desert in Black Rock City, Nevada, experienced intense flooding after a rainstorm last Friday. So no one was sure when they were exactly going to be able to get out, though Diplo and Chris Rock seemed to manage. Even U.S. President Biden was briefed on the situation. Burning Man promotes radical self-reliance, but this is probably more of a challenge than most attendees expected. And the crazy thing about it, it's the exact kind of extreme weather event made worse by the ongoing climate crisis that last week's protests were calling out. So I have a confession to make. I went to Burning Man on a private jet in 2019, but I also snuck in one year underneath a bunch of luggage, was the driver another year of a giant moving truck with an entire camp's worth of theme stuff, and one year was even offered a ride on the back of a friend's motorcycle. I didn't take that option. So let's say I've experienced the most luxurious and the lowest end of the festival. Burning Man has become a metaphor for so many of the things people love about counterculture and so many things people love to hate. My feed has been filled with anti-burn troll energy for the last week, so I wanted to talk more about Burning Man in depth, how the festival has evolved, the changing tone, and the target of its critics, and what the experience is really like. So to do that, I've invited my friend Kim and Foxman to the studio. Kim is an international DJ who went to Burning Man in 1998 and 1999, long before it became the cultural lightning rod that it is today. Growing up in Oahu, Hawaii, she's very in tune with what's at stake with the climate crisis, whether that be fires in Maui or flooding at Burning Man. Kim and Foxman. Hi. Is this our first interview interview? I think it might be. Wow. Wow. I mean, we've shared Burning Man stories, but we've never been there at the same time. We've never been there at the same time. Have you been following the news about Burning Man? I have been. I mean, who can't at this point? It's been everywhere. Yeah. I mean, first of all, I'm glad that people are getting out. Definitely. And it wasn't a total catastrophe. Yeah. It was a little bit worried. For sure. Um, But it seems like everybody's getting out. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it was... Just kind of, I'd forgotten about how many times I've been at the burn and there's been some media storm happening about Burning Man. And then I would leave and you'd get finally get cell phone services and your mom would send you like 11 text messages being like, are you okay? Are you alive? Have you seen this? Four articles about whatever was going on that people thought was happening at Burning Man. Right. That you're totally unaware of. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can imagine for those people that are there who like have no idea that it made like national news and like Diplo's the new like head head honcho talking about Burning Man on on all the news channels. And that's your first like reaction after like 10 days stuck under the burn. Oh my gosh. (laughs) 
<laughs> Were there big dust storms the first oh, year yeah. that you went? Definitely. Okay, because that's like something people should understand is like crazy weather, yeah. heat, exhaustion, yeah, all of that, like dust storms that can last for a whole day or yeah. sometimes more than a day. I've never been in a dust storm like like that, like where it can't, comes out of nowhere. And yeah. Yeah. So that stuff has always been a part of going to that festival. Yeah. Um, and so I think when people hear about Burning Man because they hear about it from the news and then they see some situation that they would never spend money to go be in, like a, a weather pocket. Right. Like this, which is just mud everywhere. And right. You can't move. Like people are prepared for that in a way. They're not prepared yeah. for rain per se, but it has rained at Burning Man since in, oh, yeah. t in years since. Definitely. Definitely got muddy when I was there. Oh, for really? Sure. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't like that. No. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's this whole, it's on a Indian reservation thing, mm. which sparks a lot of controversy. You grew up in Hawaii. Mm -hmm. That island has a lot of um, greenery and like yeah. protected there's forest of, land, right? Yeah, there's a lot of like sacred um, spots that are that you really need to respect. Can you imagine a Burning Man on Oahu? N no, <laughs> <laughs> I can't. <laughs> and so I imagine maybe some of this stuff that people ha like come, you know, it's just easy to be like, well, this is just a touchy subject, a bunch yeah. of white people with money driving through reservation lands. Right. Um, and then going and like partying on top of like a protected desert. Yeah. Have you, did you ever think about that when you went to visit Burning Man? I didn't think about it then. I actually wasn't even aware that it was, you know, on an Indian reservation then. The last years that I went was 1998 and 1999. It wasn't really like um, as much of a topic as it is now that people are becoming more aware of, which is which is great. Um, but back then it was just like, oh, have you been to this like thing in the desert? And it was just like, you know, it just sounded fascinating and cool. And I was going to raves and... You know, it, it it sounded, I don't know, something you have to be in the know of. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. More like the pure old school, like rave, like yeah. you got to check out this rave. Yeah. To mail in my ticket and, or mail in my, you know, whatever. Wait, you mailed in your money? Yeah. Yeah. I remember I was like, oh no, I missed the first tier. <laughs> um, it was $65. Now I have to pay $80. $65. Yeah. It's like $600 now. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. Well, yes and no. I mean, everything's so expensive now. I'm not, true. I'm not surprised. Every festival is quite expensive. True. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, you know, of, of the festivals I've been to mm -hmm. and the, um, the, the takeout, the takeaway. Yeah. Burning Man of is definitely high for me of like, okay, yeah, what do I get for that money? Yeah. And, and you okay. Have to, you have to bring a lot there. So you also have to, uh, yeah. you have to really be prepared because it's like, it's like proper, proper camping in. Yeah. You have to bring food, water, water um, your own little shower thing. Yeah. You have to, and you have to bring trash bags and make enough space so that when you leave the event, you bring everything with you. Yeah. Yeah, I think 
uh, the dust storms and the extreme weather and then also having to bring all of your trash out yeah. has like, at least for me, um, when I hear people talking crap about Burning Man, yeah. I'm like, okay, but but you don't, you don't, whenever you go to a festival, like you yeah. don't do this. You don't do this. Yeah. The amount of thought and care when you're like, okay, people stay for like a month after to clean it up and basically live in camping situation for that whole time to pick up every single cigarette butt. I mean, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, and they do, They, I, I've known people, I don't know if you've known people, but I've known people who've worked for Burning Man Org and they hire a lot of people mm -hmm. and like it is just a totally different uh, company that hires people who might not be hireable outside of events mm -hmm. for these long stretches to work out on the land and um, get paid decently. So, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's yeah. a bit different for yeah. America, for at least. Sure. I think European festivals and the circuit, it's more common for people to have their festival businesses. Yeah. But in the U.S., like at least Burning Man was a big part of like setting up some of that stuff. Yeah. Like I was explaining to someone this week that like none of the art at Coachella would exist. Coachella wouldn't be Coachella if it wasn't for Burning Man. For sure. So if you love Coachella, like, yeah. you know, maybe like yeah, no, slow for your sure. roll on the Burning Man cracks. No, I mean, like festivals in America were really far behind what was going on everywhere else. Like I, when I was touring festivals everywhere else, like there wasn't much options in the States. It was like Burning Man was the only kind of like proper like it was the cool one because it's so different. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I've never heard you say that before, but that makes sense in the time that you were touring. Yeah. To be like, oh, whoa, these festivals are cool. Yeah. Back at home. Yeah. But it was like, I mean, because it was so different, that's why it's cool because it's not like every other festival. Yeah. I think that there's this big talk about everyone that's at Burning Man is a tech millionaire yeah you know that's what the last week is like fuck those tech millionaires yeah. like yeah you guys can like sit in the in the mud yeah but i mean even to this day we can both assume that in majority the people that are burning man are not tech millionaires totally yeah it's a huge like local bay area um i think scene that is is the most part of it yes um Back then, there was no flying in. There was no airport to fly into there. Um, so it really was a local scene. Anyone that came, you know, went either probably flew to... Reno, uh, Yeah, right? probably Reno. But it was... I didn't meet many people that were from far away. It was mostly like L.A., San Francisco kind of Bay Area. Yeah, I mean, yeah. in the years that I went, I definitely, from from the jump, was meeting a lot of Australians because they were uh, easy in that climate. And right. then there's a lot of these regional burns that had been set up. Mm. And the places that had these bigger, cooler regional burns, it was kind of like a, a cult at that point where it was like, well, I go to this really cool regional burn and I wanted to go to the motherland, right. of the real burn. Yeah. So there was a lot of international. There was, uh, there weren't, a lot of art cars with big sound systems on them, which have to be funded by big money. Right. There were these nightclubs that threw huge fundraisers in the Bay Area all year round. 
to raise the money for the build and the sound system of their club. Right. But then at some point, there was these robot hearts and other, uh, what's the other one named? Uh, Mayan warrior. Oh, There's right. all these um, people that started taking private money, big private money, mm. and creating these huge sound attractions. And it was just painfully obvious that although those people were doing fundraisers, they were probably fundraising from a bunch of millionaires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I didn't see much of that when I was there at all. I mean, the most ridiculous thing I ever saw at Burning Man was I was like walking towards the only thing that sounded good yeah. the entire day, yeah. some like kind of dubby techno-y thing. Mm -hmm. And I was just walking, walking, walking. It was the middle of the desert. It was dark. And I came upon like the most giant Function One sound system array I've ever seen just sitting on alkaline dust. And in wow. the center of it... <laughs> was Francois Kevorkian DJing wow. to no one. Oh, wow. And I was like, this is ridiculous, guys. Like, the amount of money that was spent just to bring these speakers out. Oh, my gosh. Who is paying for this? And Seriously. that's when I was like, okay, like, as much as I'm enjoying all of the original elements of the way in which Burning Man curates art and pays for artists yeah. to be grant-funded to create these creations, then mm -hmm. there's also these people that are just like... Spending a bunch of cash. Right. I think that's where this whole tech millionaire thing comes from. You you mentioned the airport eventually got built. Yeah. But for the most part, you know, like the one percenters are, it's only a small percentage of those people that are out there. And they yeah. they do their best to exhibit as much of their wealth as, as they can. Right. But you don't really have to pay or even spend much time around it. Yeah, Totally. I don't know. Sometimes, like, when things blow up, there's also, like, uh, you have to look at the other side of it. For example, like, when EDM, like, blew up, it was so easy to, like, you know, to, like, diss it because it was, you know, it wasn't underground right, or whatever. And it was just, like, all this money, you know. Um, and it was the butt of a lot of jokes for people that weren't a part of it. But in the end, it changed the industry for the states. It brought a lot more, like, you know, money to the industries and underground DJs have more options to play and stuff like that. So there's, like, I don't know. On the other hand, it's, like, you know, if it, if it gives these other people a chance to see this, like, mm, other kind of culture and be exposed to that and maybe some mind-expanding experiences, good for them. <laughs> <laughs> Ever the optimist at Switzerland, Kim and Foxman. <laughs> I mean... I think what's interesting about what you're touching on is the idea that there is a lot of a lot left to chance yeah. about being there mm -hmm. and a lot of unknown. A lot of unknown, yeah. And Burning Man has a lot of photos and videos and stuff after the event. Mm -hmm. But during the event, yeah, yeah. Uh, the world, for the most part, doesn't know what's going on inside. No. And even you inside don't have cell phone reception and you don't really want it. Yeah. And the, the schedule of events that they do hand out is so massive that it's like, you you literally have to spend a whole tea time just like reading through it. Right. So there's a lot to miss and that's the point. Yeah, yeah. But now, this particular week, we saw a lot of footage and TikToks and stuff from Burning Man during Burning Man. Yeah. 
And because of Starlink. Because of Starlink. Yeah. Which is crazy because who's one of the the tech bros that was supposed to be changed by doing ecstasy at Burning Man? Right. Elon Musk. Right. <laughs> so speaking of people who are ruining the experience, um, influencers as well. Yeah. You know, people who are out there who are using their Starlink to like post their videos. Yeah. There was a period where all of a sudden Burning Man became a place that Paris Hilton went. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah, I think that's just, that's the nature of the way in which events all across the globe have changed without them having much control. Yeah. I mean, Burning Man did their best to not have any internet working out there. Yeah. But Starlink. Right. You know, and they, they did their best to make sure that no one was a headlining talent, but then, you know, celebrities went and talked about it anyway. Right. Do you think that is the international cultural phenomenon was all of these elements? Or do you think that the event itself and how many people have gone have like created that? I think it's probably a mixture. Yeah. I think once anything kind of blows up and changes, then people tend to change their opinion about it. Mm. Yeah. Or be like, oh, it's not like that anymore. You know, I don't know. I felt like I had my experiences and they were were great and I'm happy with them. Um, Would I go back? It really depends. Like if there was a situation where a a group of friends, if you were there, (laughs) I know that I could have a blast. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've been considering the same thing myself and realized that Living in the Bay Area, Burning Man is a yearly thing, Yeah, can be a yearly it thing. It is for many people. And then the reputation of the event has become global. Yeah. And so there's this fear of missing out that mm-hmm. becomes like Coachella-sized mm-hmm. that doesn't really apply. And even more as we start to think about how festivals and travel, especially tourism travel, is affecting our globe and the warming of our globe, mm-hmm. that Burning Man and the fear of missing out and shitting on it because you're like, well, I don't know anything about this event anyway. It's all related to the fact that you probably just shouldn't know about it because it's a yeah. local festival. Yeah. All festivals really should be local. Totally. For the environment's sake. Yeah. And and the understanding of what the elements of that festival are. So it's like a lot of Bay Area people understand why Burning Man is the way it is and why people want to go there For in the sure. same way that everybody understands why people want to go to their local exactly. gathering thing. Totally. I agree. Thank you so much for dropping by and sharing your experiences of being a Burning Man originator. Ooh. <laughs> well, I was a little late. I don't know when it started. but uh, It was pretty, you were pretty early yeah. on. If yeah. there were motorcycles still there. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Pre-Robot Heart. Pre, de- pre-tech house. It was, yeah, it was for sure. You were back there when the music was still bad good. Yes, it was. Yeah. Now it's just bad, bad. <laughs> Well, I can't wait for the bad good to come back. <laughs> me too. Thanks for having me. A big thanks to Kim for joining us. And for those burners recovering or still on Exodus, Godspeed. Now it's time to hit the news bits that really mattered this week. Autobahn? More like Autoban. 
Speaking of climate protests. We can't actually stop a highway from being built or take our city back with beats and dancing. What we can do today is decide to show up for real. That was Ben Miller of Bad Gays Podcast fame. He was a part of this weekend's climate and community activists in Berlin shutdown of the streets around the proposed A100 build project. The A100 Wegbassen protest was against the planned extension of the A100 Autobahn through Berlin, a road that would go directly through the space occupied by clubs like Renata, Elsa, Club Ost, and About Blank. It would also displace hundreds of the city's citizens by knocking down their homes. And more highways and more cars means more environmental destruction, period. So the protests are not just about shutting down the clubs. This is a universal issue. You can find out more about the demonstration and the A100 protest goals in the link to our show notes, and we'll report more as this situation develops. Fast Fashion. As the queen of getting it wrong, let's clear something up. The giant Chinese shopping site, spelled S-H-E-I-N, the incredibly problematic fast fashion super site, is pronounced Shein, not Shane or Shine or whatever else your friends have argued is right. But however you say it, Shein is about to be even more popular. They just signed an agreement with the American chain Forever 21 to sell its clothes on Shein's site and maybe one day bring branded brick-and-mortar stores to the U.S. This partnership makes sense. Forever 21 is one of the companies responsible for starting the trend towards disposable, super-cheap fast fashion, and Shein took the concept even further, with a speedy supply chain and even lower prices online. Cheap and convenient has its obvious hidden costs. The New York Times highlighted criticism accusing Shein of copying other designers and using forced labor at their factories. And regardless of who's selling it, fast fashion is an environmental nightmare. And music fans have also been called out for being a part of this issue. Who doesn't want a new fit for their festivals and social posts? But raves and festivals aren't the only thing people buy single-use outfits for, so we're not taking all the blame for this. Still, it's worth thinking about whether or not your rave look is ethically sourced, as far as the fit check is. Okay, Kazi lives, yeah, but still, buy less, buy better, and for the love of God, don't buy something that looks used or vintage on Shein. From dance floors to dashboards. Attack Magazine has reported on another music-related undertaking with environmental significance, the shifting sound design of electric vehicles. Producers like Richard Devine, who released some genius records on labels like Schematic and Detroit Underground, are working with major auto companies like Jaguar to create and refine the sonic experience of their electric cars. These cars are almost entirely silent, but both drivers and pedestrians need some kind of noise due to safety concerns. So people like Divine are experimenting with wave synthesis that can be used as engine acceleration sounds or welcome tones. And Divine's not the only musician collaborating with the car companies. Hans Zimmer is working with BMW, Jean-Michel Jarre is working with Renault, and Japanese tech legends Roland have contributed the audio environment for cars by Green Lord Motors. It all points towards a future where the purr and roar of an engine is likely to be designed by someone whose music has moved you on the dance floor, or even more meta, by the artists who soundtracked your favorite dystopian sci-fi movie. If a Pokemon moans in the forest? So, if you've ever had a partner or roommate that loves video games, you know a lot of the Pokemon sound effects are truly iconic. 
We're talking about that sound that plays after your Pokemon evolves or that cute exclamation Pika from Pikachu. Pikachu? Pika Pika. So, as cute as the Pokemon are, the noise pollution that that game has had on some of my date nights has had me looking for reasons to stay interested. Cue a recent report from the 2023 Computer Entertainment Developers Conference about Pokemon sound design. It stated that since 2002, game designers have logged individual cries and chimes for over a thousand Poke creatures. And just like gym leaders, developers are taking this really seriously. Connect and Echo audio director Kazuki Kitamura says that they wanted to make all of the cries sound right in the natural environment where Pokemon might be found. So he put small speakers all over a forest and played the Pokemon sounds through them to test how they sounded in nature and was able to make them sound more realistic by simulating the way sound echoes and refracts through plants and trees. Because there are over a thousand Pokemon, the firm developed a proprietary program called Pokesynth that created numerous variations for each across all kinds of emotions. So next time your boo forgets to put on their Bluetooth headsets while catching them all, marvel in the tech and manpower that went into every annoying eep and yelp filling your living room. So you might know by now at the end of our show is a recommendation segment. This weekend, why not take a listen to the Party Zone MTV Revisited podcast? I don't exactly remember how I stumbled upon this gem, because certainly the UK MTV hosts Simone Angel and James Hyman were nowhere to be found on my US MTV channels growing up. But in this podcast, the duo heads back into their 90s interview archives to highlight, re-interview, and re-air conversations with some unsung or misunderstood musicians. So I'm dropping the link in the show notes to the episodes with Adamski, the producer of the number one chart-topping song Killer with Seal, and the Zambian queen of rave, Rosala. These days, culture moves fast. It is hard to keep up. So there's something entertaining and soothing about catching up on long-gone times in dance music where the industry drama was hot, but the internet was nowhere to be found. So that's all for the week this week. Thank you for locking in. We are back here next Thursday. Take care and remember to stop scrolling. The Week is a production by Telecom Electronic Beats and ACB Stories. 